You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. We are looking through the book of Philippians, studying it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And this morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And really, based on the first word that this text contains, therefore, we know that we have to back up a little bit to get the context of what Paul is talking about. And what Paul was talking about was having joy in light of our suffering, having joy in light of the fact that death is imminent for all of us. And he's saying now, therefore, in light of that, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, unified, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And so he says, in light of the fact that you are suffering. Here is something I want to caution you about. Therefore, I want you, because of the exhortation of Christ, and that's what that word consolation means, is that we have the example of Christ. In light of that, in light of the, the comfort of love that we have in Him, in light of the fellowship of the Spirit, that is the, the commonality that we all have in the Spirit, in, if there is any affection and mercy... In light of the fact that we have that, and that word if really should be since, is what he's talking about. Since you have these things, these are confirmed truths and facts. Since you have these four things in Christ, I don't want you to isolate yourself. I don't want you to be divided, which is what normally happens when suffering comes into our life. When difficulties come into our life, it's very easy for us to separate and to isolate ourselves. But Paul says, look, I want you to, in fact, be unified when those things happen. Don't use your suffering as an excuse to divide yourself. Use your suffering as a means by which you would gather closer to one another. And as we're going to see later on in Philippians, there was a bit of division that was taking place between these two ladies in this church and Paul is warning them and Paul is warning us about division and about disunity that will often result when suffering comes. Paul says, look, don't isolate yourself. In fact, Proverbs 18.1 says that those that isolate themselves are not wise. That in fact, it is uh, very selfish to, to isolate yourself. And he says that he wants them to fulfill his joy. And Paul is saying, look, this is what will really, really make me, make me happy and will make my day. This will fulfill my joy. And that really is the theme of Philippians is joy. And we've been talking a lot about that, about how to have joy in the midst of difficulty, how to have joy despite your circumstances, because happiness is based upon your circumstances. Happiness says, if I have that, then I'll be happy. Happiness says, if you treat me the way I want to be treated, then I'll be happy. 
But joy says, look, I'm finding this fulfillment in other things besides material things or in the way that I'm treated. I'm looking to Jesus for my joy. And Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, being unified, having the same love, focusing upon the love of Jesus. And that's what unity does. Unity is not uniformity where everybody thinks the same, dresses the same, acts the same. Unity is when I take the minor differences and I overlook them for the common good of other people. And we, we rally around Jesus and what we have in common in him. He says, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That is a healthy body. When we can put our differences beside, when we can overlook some of the, the weaknesses and the failures of others, we can, when we can get beyond the things that maybe we don't like about other people and we can see that which we do have in common and we can have the same mind, be of one accord, have the same love. And then he says, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And this is really what I want to focus in on this morning. In fact, it's the last word of our text, the word others. Focusing upon others. If we want to have joy, the first place that we find joy is in Jesus, is in focusing upon Jesus. When we get our eyes off of Jesus, we lose joy. But the other catalyst for joy is being others-minded. If you want to rob yourself of joy, be selfish, be self-consumed, think only about yourself and how things affect you. And very quickly, you will find that your joy is stripped from your life. We think that if we concentrate on ourselves, if we're selfish, if we think only about how things affect us, if we cater to our needs, if we look out for number one, we think that will make us happy. But in reality, it makes us miserable. And the most miserable people are selfish, self-consumed people. And the, the most joyous people are people that may be going through lots of difficulties, they may be having many struggles. They may not have two nickels to rub against another, but they find joy because they're not focused upon themselves. They're focused upon others and how they can bless other people. You'll find no greater joy than serving others. If you'll sacrifice your time, if you'll sacrifice your needs and your wants, You'll sacrifice what you want to do to go and, and serve in a ministry. Show up down there today and, and minister to those, those old folks. And, and you'll find that there's much greater joy in that than there is in sitting on the couch and serving yourself. And, and there's such joy in having others as your focus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is humility. Humility is something that doesn't come to us naturally at all. In fact, humility is absolutely opposed to our flesh. But pride is absolutely opposed to God. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride is the sin that motivated Satan to try to usurp God's authority. It, it then caused Satan to be tossed out of heaven. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to get people 
to follow in his footsteps of being proud, of being self-consumed, of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Humility is something that God wants to cultivate in our hearts. But in reality, we have to choose to be humble. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. We pray for humility, but God doesn't just grant it to us. It doesn't just come by osmosis or one day you wake up and all of a sudden you're humble. It doesn't work that way. God cultivates humility through suffering and difficulty and by showing us that we don't have it all together, that we don't have anything to offer him, that we don't have anything at all, that we're really ridiculous. That's how God cultivates humility in us. And, but we have to humble ourselves. And I'll tell you this, that as I studied this and as I stand here this morning teaching you this, I don't stand here as a humble man. I don't stand here as a person who thinks, you know what, it, you guys are all full of pride and, and I've really got this together. I stand here with you as a person who struggles with pride a person who struggles with selfishness, a person who needs to have humility cultivated in my own life. Because it's a natural tendency to be proud, to be arrogant, to be full of yourself. And we need Jesus to cultivate and to bring humility into our life. We so desperately need that. And when we get our eyes off of Jesus is when we begin to have pride when we begin to compare ourselves with others that's when pride comes in because if we compare ourselves to others we can always find someone who were more intelligent than they are who were more spiritual than they are who were more successful than they are who were better parents than they are who we work harder than they do at our jobs and so i can always feel good about myself when i compare myself to other people. But when I factor Jesus into the equation, all of a sudden, I no longer think so highly of myself because now I'm looking at Jesus and I think, you know what, Lord? I am nothing. I have nothing. I am so sinful. God, forgive me. And, and that is what we have to do, you guys, in order that we don't have pride as the defining characteristic of our life. That we don't think only of ourselves, that we're not doing things through selfish ambition or conceit, but that in lowliness of mind, we're esteeming others better than ourselves, that we're looking out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Guys, we need that in this church. We need that in our lives. We need humility. Humility is been defined by, by one author as honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. That's really what humility is. It's, it's kind of like accounting. You add up the figures and the facts and you come to a conclusion. And as I said, if you just add up the figures and the facts related to your life juxtaposed with someone else's life, you can come up to the conclusion that you're doing really well and you can have pride in that. But when you factor Jesus into the equation, all of a sudden the scales are completely out of balance and you realize that your life is not all that great. 
that you're not all that smart, that you're not all that talented, and the talent that you do have is from the Lord, that you're not God's gift to this world, that Jesus is, that self needs to be crucified because Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. But only when we honestly assess our lives in light of God's holiness does that happen. And so it's impossible for a non-believer, for someone who does not know Jesus Christ personally, it's impossible for them to be humble. Because humility is born out of assessing your life in light of God's holiness. It's also impossible for the Christian to be humble who's not spending time with Jesus, who's not daily allowing Jesus to infuse his life into theirs. And when we get our eyes off of Jesus, one of the first things that we will notice is that we become prideful, that we become self-consumed. And you guys, humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. As you will hear people often do, they put themselves down and we think, man, what a humble person. But in reality, when you're doing that, when you're constantly talking about all of your shortcomings and you're putting yourself down and you're speaking of how horrible you are, oftentimes that's a backdoor pride. Because what you're wanting is for people to come along and to refute that. You're wanting them to say, no, 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 you're not that way. You're awesome. I, I would never imagine that you would do that. You are so great. And it's this backdoor pride. Because humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself. Humility is just getting self out of the way. See, when we're talking about ourself negatively, we're still talking about ourself. Self is still out there. We need to get rid of self. Self is the problem. The absence of self is where humility is found. And pride, pride is, is really defined as contending for God's supremacy, for wanting to replace God with you, for wanting to take God's place. Pride seeks to rob God of legitimate glory and to pursue self-glorification. Pride, you guys, is the greatest enemy of joy. We're talking about joy in Philippians. And pride is our greatest enemy to joy. If you're a person who's miserable, if you're a person who just cannot seem to find a smile, if you're a person who is just making everyone around you miserable, there is pride that needs to be rooted out of your life. Humility is our greatest friend. Humility will make a person who in reality should just be in the dumps of despair, but make that person have joy in the midst of those things. Because self is taken out of the equation. I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't feel like I've been slighted. I don't feel like I deserve more. I don't feel like I should have received the credit. And it goes on and on and on as to humility bringing joy and pride bringing misery. You guys, we desperately, as I said, need humility in the church because a successful church, a growing church, a church that will impact its community is a church filled with humble people, with people of humility. You want to see an unhealthy church? You want to see a divided church? See a church that has pride at the midst of its leadership. Find a church that has 
pride in, in its people who, who want the glory, who want the credit, who only want to get involved with things that were their ideas, who only get behind things that they're going to be given accolades for. And you guys, as a pastor, my desire is to find humble people to bring alongside of me in ministry. Because you know what? Prideful people are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. They're not hard to find. And I could go out on the street and find people who only will get involved with things that they get credit for very easily. But you know who are the gems? You know who are difficult to come by? Is people who will get behind something when their name isn't attached to it. When it wasn't their idea. When maybe they don't even think it's all that great of an idea. Those are the gems in the church. People that get excited about things that may or may not bring them any glory whatsoever. That's the kind of people we need. That's the kind of people that we need to be. I want to be that kind of person. And often I'm not, but I want to be. And that's the kind of people that I hope you are desiring to be as you pursue humility. And humility, you guys, is one of those things that once you think you have it, you no longer do. And so it's a constant struggle. It's a constant pursuit of humility, of dying to self, of becoming more like Jesus. You see, a prideful Christian is really an oxymoron. Because think about Jesus. He was the most humble man that has ever lived. He's the only one that can truly say, I am humble. He wasn't worried about himself. He wasn't worried about how things affected him. Even though he was God, he didn't talk about himself all the time. He just lived out his life and people were blown away by him. If anybody should be talking about themselves, it should have been Jesus. Jesus was others focused. Jesus was constantly wanting people to be blessed through his life. And that should be our focus. We should be focusing on others, as Paul says here, doing nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, having a low view of yourself. Let each esteem others better than himself looking out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Paul concedes the fact that we have to look out for our own interests. You've got to eat. You've got to sleep. You've got to take care of yourself. You have to educate yourself. We need to be pursuing God in our relationship with him. That's our own interest. Clearly, we have our own interests, but that should not be the only thing that we're focusing on. If you're a person who is solely thinking of yourself, if you're a person who before... You're not thinking before you speak. You're not evaluating your words and how they might affect somebody. You just say whatever. And, and there's a lot of ways in which pride is in our life and we don't recognize it. Here's one way that, that pride will, will creep into our lives. And I don't think it's detectable. And that is, is that we always have to one-up a person that we're talking to. And they'll tell us a story. And then we have to tell them that we've done something even better or that we've gone through something even more terrible. Oh, that's nothing. You, you should have been here when I was here, you know. Or, or you should have been a part of that back, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, I'll tell you what, you think it's hard now, you should have... Or whatever. We're, we're always wanting to elevate ourselves. People talk about their, their difficulties and, and we want to minimize that. Maybe a mom who only has one or two kids, is, is talking about her struggle. And, and you say, oh, well, if you had four kids like I do, then you would really know what it's all about. And, and we just minimize 
what people are experiencing. Or when somebody says, man, uh, you know, I was able to, to be used by the Lord, you know, and, and at work I, I was able to share the gospel with this guy and, and it was really neat. And, and, and then we have to insert our story and tell them how that we've been used in even greater ways than that. And sometimes we don't realize it, but we need to think before we speak. And we need to think, you know what, maybe I don't need to tell this story because now I'm minimizing what they've been able to do. Maybe I don't need to talk about myself. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of how we're coming across to people, of, of what we're saying, of how we're treating people. Do we have others in mind? Or are we just going through this life completely focused on ourselves? And it's, it's very easy to do, even in driving. And you're behind somebody and they're going really slow, which is a real pet peeve of mine, I'm sure of yours. And you know, you're just right up on them and you're honking the horn or you're trying to get around them and you're you know, wanting to cuss them out, whatever. And, but we don't think about, well, maybe their, their car isn't running properly or, or maybe they don't see well and so they're having to drive slow. Whatever it might be, we, we need to insert others into the equation so that we're not seeing things only through our eyes. And, and really, the, the, the bottom line is putting Jesus into the equation. And when we have our, our mind focused upon him, it's impossible for us to be filled with pride. As Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And so allowing his mind to be infused into our mind, to see things through the eyes of Jesus. Because pride in the life of a Christian is the ultimate oxymoron. It, it's, it can't be, it shouldn't be. How can we say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet I'm self-consumed. I'm filled with pride. I talk about myself all the time. I think I'm God's gift to this world. And you look and you say, Christian, person filled with pride. Doesn't make sense. Jesus was humble. We need to follow in his footsteps. And God will work this humility out in us if we allow him to. He'll use the circumstances of our life to show us that we're not as great as we think we are. And as a young kid, I, I've, I was never like the best at anything. You know, I, I was always sort of average. I, I was average in, in academics, you know. I, I was never below average, but I was never the smartest kid. And I was never the, the best in sports. I was always average. I, I could run, I could catch, I could throw, but there was always people better than me. I, I was never the best. But then when I was... 15, I came to Christ. All of a sudden, I had the opportunity to excel beyond those that were around me. And I never really recognized it. It was nothing that I set out to do. It wasn't like, hey, I want to know more about the Bible than all these other kids in the youth group. But there was this competitive, prideful, self-consuming kind of mentality that I had that I wanted to be the best at something. And I was always an overachiever. And so... I began to just consume the Bible. And, and I believe that, uh, that a part of me certainly was doing that because I wanted to know Jesus. But we're very complicated creatures, aren't we? And so there was a part of me also that was doing that so that I could impress people. And any opportunity that I had, I wanted to impress people with how much I knew. And I remember one specific night, we had this get-together, youth get-together, and, and we, we played Bible trivia. And I had only been saved for less than a year, probably less than six months. 
And here were all these other kids that had grown up in the church, had, had been around the Bible their whole lives. I just annihilated them. I mean, I just ran them into the ground. Everybody was like, how does this kid that just got saved know all this about the Bible? And I was beginning to, to be filled with pride, spiritual pride. And even in going into Bible college and pursuing ministry, I remember the, the first day we had at Bible college, a big assembly, everybody's there together, the, the president of the school will address everybody, and, and you know it's kind of a um, welcome. And I remember sitting there, and I remember thinking, I bet you that he's going to notice me. I bet he's going he's gonna to see me and he's going to see some greatness in me. And he's just going to pluck me out of this, this group of 500 or so students. And, and it's go, he's going to see that, that I've got something special to bring to the body of Christ. Never happened. Just sort of, you know, went along with my time at school. And, and even in, in graduating and in going out to, to pursue ministry after Bible college... There was still this lingering thought that, you know, I, I've got something in, special to bring. And if somebody will just notice me, and it really never happened. The phone didn't ring. Andrea and I got married, <clears throat> moved back to, to my hometown. I got a job at Costco, and I was scrubbing the floor at, in the meat shop, the, the bottom of the barrel, and I was cleaning the bakery. Those were my two jobs, either one of the, one day or the other, that's what I would do. I would clean the meat shop or I'd clean the bakery or I would be out in the parking lot gathering carts. And it was, it was horrible. Uh, in the bakery, just scrubbing the grease and the grime, all the dough. And those, those people do not care about the person that cleans. They just, it's everywhere. And, you know, it, it's just nasty. And I remember one night mopping the floor and just growing really tired of it and, and asking the Lord, like, what are you doing in my life? What, what is this? Because I, all I want to do is serve you. All I want to do is be a part of ministry. And the way that things are going right now, I can't even go to church. They have me working Sundays and, and every other time the church gathered, I was working. Lord, what is going on here? And God just began to, to remind me and to really instruct me that this was necessary if I was going to be the servant that he wanted me to be. That I would be happy in doing what I was doing. That if I couldn't serve him in that environment, how was I going to be a pastor? And I'm not going to say that like the next day I was just so happy to mop the floor that that was... But it was a, a start in God beginning to cultivate humility in my life. And, and God will use those circumstances of our lives to cultivate humility. There was another time in Bible college that I was asked to be the head of security. And so, you know, this was my, my kind of moment to shine. And, you know, security is, is kind of this, this thing that you can let pride kind of get in there in, in, in the first place. You know, you, you can kind of tell people what to do, and it's really stupid. You know, you're like a, a rent-a-cop with a jacket, you know. And, but that was my, everybody has to have a, a, a service uh, at the school, you had to do something. You were, you were assigned to either housekeeping or to laundry or to whatever. And, and I was assigned to security, which was a great gig because I'm kind of a night owl, so I was up all night, and it was great. So Andrew and I were dating, and, and uh, I, you know, she was kind of going around with me, and 
making the rounds around the school. And, and I get a call from the, the president of the school and he says, Hey, uh, there's been an accident down at right by my house. And, you know, the school was up in the mountains and it was very cold and snowy, San Bernardino mountains in Southern California. And, you know, it was the winter time and, and there was a lot of accidents up there and his house kind of sat down below the school. And so he said, there's, there's an accident right on the corner, right by my house on the highway. I want you to go and check it out. So, you know, I'm thinking, all right, you know, this is my opportunity to shine here. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to show him what I can do. So I, Andrew's with me. So we jump in this little cart, which was basically like a golf cart with no top on it. And, you know, it'd go like 10 or 15 miles an hour or something. And we drive out, we go down the road and all of a sudden I realized that with two people in this cart going downhill, it, it really doesn't have the brakes set up to, to come to a stop at these kinds of speeds. And so we're getting closer and Andrea's got the flashlight. I told her, I said, hold the flashlight out so I can see, cause there's no light, no lights, you know, totally pitch black driving down this hill. And we are, you know, going really fast. So I don't want to let her know that, you know, there's any sort of problem. So I'm kind of pumping the brakes. I'm realizing we aren't really slowing down. All of a sudden, all the, the sirens and the lights and all of this activity is coming closer and closer. You know, we're, we're 100 yards, 50 yards. And I'm thinking, we're just going to crash into everything. So I just start hammering the brakes. And I never, I'll never forget the noise that it made. It was, it was kind of this, this really odd kind of, you know, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And we, we, we begin to slow down finally because it kind of flattened out and we just coasted right into the accident scene. And I'll never forget there was a fireman standing there and, and there's, there's, there's probably, you know, dead people. I mean, this was a major accident scene. There's cars flipped over. There's, there's just people everywhere. Sirens going off. There's ambulances. There's cops. And we come rolling in in a security cart from the Bible college into the midst of this accident, which was not my intention. You know, I, what I want to do is like park up ahead, just kind of look at things. But here we are in the middle of it. And this fireman looks at me. And I remember he just said, what are you doing? Just like that, what are you doing? And I said, I don't really know. <laughs> I, I've got no explanation. <laughs> you know, can you help me push this thing out of here? <laughs> and we drove back and I called the, you know, the head of the Bible college and I was just like, yeah, this is what's going on and felt like a complete idiot. And you know what? Those are the times that God cultivates humility into our life. And, and he wants to use those experiences in your life to cultivate humility, to bring humility, if you will allow him to. And I want to close with just a few suggestions on how to do that, on how to cultivate humility in your life. Because the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that humility is something that is not born into us. It's something you have to choose. Let this mind you have to allow this mind that's in Christ to be in you. And the first suggestion, and, and I stole this from another pastor who stole this from somebody else. So this is third hand 
uh, truth here. First suggestion, follow the truth wherever it leads. Wherever the truth leads, follow it there, even if it makes you look foolish, even if it makes you out to be wrong, wherever the truth leads, follow it there and accept it. Don't try to defend yourself. How often will people see the truth? It's right in front of their eyes. Just like when I rolled into that accident scene, the truth is right in front of my eyes that number one, I don't belong here. I don't know what I'm doing. My girlfriend's holding a flashlight and I'm in a security cart and I have a radio and that's the extent of my training. I don't belong here. And so you, you follow the truth to the logical end and you say, what an idiot. How ridiculous is this? Hey, what are you doing here? I don't know. I'm not going to try to excuse this. I'm not going to try to come up with some story about that I ought to be here. Follow the truth wherever it leads and don't defend yourself. Don't justify what you've done. Accept it. Deal with it. Another suggestion, invite and pursue correction and counsel. And this is something that I see lacking. And that I see lacking even in the church and even in the lives of believers is the willingness to, number one, ask for advice, to ask for counsel, to follow that counsel, to do what is suggested to you, to invite people to criticize your life, to say, hey, how can I be a better Sunday school teacher? How can I be a better guitar player, singer? How can I be a better sound guy? How can I be a better greeter? How can I be a better usher? How can I be a better you fill in the blank. And often we aren't willing to do that because we don't want to hear what will come. We don't want to hear criticism. We don't want to hear, well, I think that you could do this. And I'll tell you that I, I believe in my pursuit of humility, there has been some level of teachability that God has brought into my life. But I'll tell you where it ends. It ends with me not being willing to listen to people that I don't respect. And so I have friends that are pastors, and I've even asked them, how can I become a better Bible teacher? And one of my friends was totally blown away with that question. He's like, wow, you know, that is, that is really cool that, that you're willing to be teachable. But here's the thing, I'm really not teachable, because if I was teachable, then I would be willing to hear from anyone. I would be willing to hear from people that I don't respect on things. Because I, I know other people that teach that I maybe I don't really think they're all that great or I don't respect them that much. And when they try to tell me things, people from my past, when they try to give me counsel, number one, I don't invite it. And number two, I don't really listen to it. And I discount it because I don't think that they've attained to the level that I have. And there's pride. And so we have to even evaluate the strengths that we have, the maybe the areas that God has brought humility into our life, we have to evaluate those and say, how can I even improve in that? And not ever being satisfied with where you're at. Inviting and pursuing correction and counsel. And, and really number two leads into number three, which is learning from everyone. Being able to learn from everyone, that is humility. That you can learn from a child, that you can learn from someone who you don't respect, that you can learn from a critic, that you can learn from an enemy. And see, there's been several times that people have left the church and, and they've complained or they've criticized 
or they've said, you know, this, this, and the other. And, and maybe 95% of it was all just a bunch of bogus. And so I discount it. And I just think, you know what? That is total garbage. And everybody, you know, in leadership or people that know them, you know, they come to my defense and they say, you know what? That is garbage. That's totally wrong. And, and don't even worry about that. And so then I justify to myself that I don't need to learn anything about what they said. And from what they said. And so I miss out on an opportunity for God to cultivate humility. Because I'm not willing to evaluate what they said and take it before the Lord and say, God, what is it that you want me to learn from this? I'm really struggling here, Lord, because I believe that about 95% of this is complete garbage. But what do you want me to learn? And there's always something. There's always an element of truth. There's always something in that that you can take away, that I can take away and learn from. That's humility. It's not easy. It does not appeal to our flesh. Pride doesn't evaluate oneself because pride thinks that you've arrived. Pride thinks that you've got it together. Another suggestion is repent quickly and thoroughly. And so when you have come to the logical end of things and you realize that you were wrong, admit you were wrong apologize. Why is it so difficult for us to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. What we often do because of our pride is, hey, were you offended by that? Because if you were, then I'm sorry. That's not being sorry. That's putting conditions upon it. If you were offended, then I'm sorry. No, it was either wrong or it wasn't what you said. So don't Make excuses. Don't justify what you've done. Hey, you know what? I know that that I really screwed up here, but let me, can I tell you why? Can I tell you what I was thinking and and why I came to that conclusion or or why I made that decision and I'm going to justify it? Can I tell you about my past and how I was raised? And if I didn't have a lunatic for a mom, then, then I wouldn't have done that. Or if my dad wasn't, you know, hadn't abandoned me when I was a kid, then, then I wouldn't have made that decision. See, and we want to justify what we've done and and why we're doing things. That's not repenting. That's not humility. Allow other people to figure that out because people are smarter than we give them credit for oftentimes. And people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but it looks really disingenuous when you do it. So just allow other people to figure it out. Allow other people to make excuses for you, but don't do it yourself. Seek and celebrate God's work in other people. Seek it and celebrate it. When you see God doing something in someone else's life, let them know. Tell them. Appreciate them. Tell them how you've seen them grow. Be thankful for them. Be appreciative. And often, we don't do that because we don't want anybody to be exalted above ourselves. So we're not going to seek and celebrate what God's doing in other people. We want to seek and celebrate their weaknesses and their failures because it makes us feel better. And again, that's what everybody does. Everybody notices the weakness of others. There is nothing inherently special about your ability to sniff out the sin and the weaknesses of other people. It's real easy and it comes naturally to us and we love to seek and celebrate that because then I can feel better about myself. You guys, that's got to be put to death. We need to seek and celebrate what God is doing. As we talked about a few weeks ago in our first study here in Philippians, that we would approve the things that are excellent. And that's not easy to do. 
to approve the things that are excellent in people. Anybody. Just like I said earlier that I can go find prideful people off the streets. Well, I can go find people on the streets that can sniff out weaknesses in people too. It's part of our flesh. It comes very easy to us. But the gyms are people that will approve the things that are excellent in others, that will focus on the positive things in people's lives. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. That's a big one, being thankful. Prideful people are not thankful people because prideful people always think they deserve more, they deserve better. Prideful people think that it should have been done differently, it should have been done my way. And so why do I thank somebody? Because if I had done it, then it would have been done much better. So I'm not going to thank you. I'm not going to give you the pleasure of thinking you did a good job when I know I could have done much better. And so thankfulness, cultivating thankfulness and being appreciative of other people, taking the time to make a phone call to say, you know what, I really wanted to tell you how much that blessed me and and I want to thank you. I want to let you know that you're a blessing and not being disingenuous and not saying that if it isn't true. And I'm not even saying that we don't challenge people because I do it all the time. If they're not doing what needs to be done, but we need to be thankful. We, we need to be appreciative. Exalting the name of Jesus above all else is another suggestion on how to cultivate humility. In other words, before we speak, we think, will this exalt Jesus? Before we act, we think, will this exalt Jesus? Or does this exalt me? Laugh. Prideful people are very serious people. They don't smile, they don't laugh, they don't have a sense of humor because they think that everything they're doing is absolutely perfect. And if they do make a mistake, they're not willing to admit it and they're certainly not willing to laugh about it. And if you laugh about it, now they're upset and they're offended. Humble people have the ability to laugh at themselves because you evaluate your life and you say, you know what, this life is ridiculous. Who am I? Everything I have has been given to me by God. I was created by Him. The talents I have were given to me by Him. The fact that I'm saved and that I'm seeking Him and following Him and one day I will be going to heaven, that's from Him, has nothing to do with me. And so the things that are stupid in our lives, the mistakes that we make, we know they're from us and we can laugh about them. And we can say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you accept me. God, I recognize that I'm no big deal, that, that I, I don't have anything to offer you. Forgive me for getting my eyes off of you. You guys, God wants to, to cultivate humility into our lives. And we so desperately need it in this culture, in this society, and in our church. And I pray that we as a people, starting with me as your pastor, that I would exemplify that to you. And I admit to you that at times I don't. And I apologize for that. I want to be humble. And when I'm not, call me on it. I I want to set the example of humility to you. I want to set the example of exalting Jesus above all else. That you guys wouldn't leave here and think, wow, that was a great message. And oftentimes I used to pray, Lord, help me to, to teach well. I don't pray that anymore. Lord, help them to learn these truths and to apply them in their life. I don't care how I sound or if people are impressed. I want people to get Jesus. I want them to leave with a greater understanding of who he is. You guys, I want to exemplify that to you. And when I don't, I want to be the first to confess I was wrong. 
But I also want you guys to catch that vision and I want you guys to be people of humility because if we're going to impact this community, which is our vision as a church, to be a light to this community, to make disciples, to recognize that we are missionaries, and if we're going to do that, you guys, it will be born through humility because pride, pride is at the root of all sin. It's at the root of all sin. And so if we want to show people Jesus, it's going to be through humility. And that means we'll listen to people. We'll love people. That we don't judge. That's what people need. They need to see Jesus. And I pray that you guys see it in me. Ultimately, that we see it in Jesus. And that we follow his example. That we let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at a few examples of humility. Four, in fact. Next week, the example of Jesus, then the example of Paul, then the example of Timothy, and then the example of Epaphroditus. And so humility will really be our theme over the next several weeks as we talk about joy in humility. You guys pursue it. Allow God to cultivate in your life. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com or if you would like to write to us you may do so at P.O. Box 378 Prineville, Oregon 97754 Thank you for listening and God bless.